Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com On today's episode of Cannabis Legalization News, you get to see the cover of Fat Doug's magazine from this month. And not only that, you're going to learn everything about the Biden administration's descheduling or downscheduling of marijuana under the federal law, under the Controlled Substances Act. It's our lead story. Uh, in addition to that, we have some Wisconsin news, some New Mexico news, some Nevada news, a whole bunch of security. Man there, man there, what happened? Tom, you popped out of the thing. Oh, I must have accidentally hit my touchpad. <laughs> hey, and with that, fine. yeah, let, let's start the program. I'm trying to use the touchpad because when I use the mouse, you hear the clicks. This is for you, everybody tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Cannabis Legalization News. Uh, we really appreciate the likes and subscribes. Yes. Whenever you get a free a new toy, you're just trying to work out the kinks. 
Hey, uh, we have a lot of new toys. I have hired a YouTube coach for consultancy, so we're going to be making more videos, which should get us more subscribers. We'll see about that. We'll also see about this article. This was the biggest news of the week and maybe of the year if it turns out to be something. But the Biden administration is confirming marijuana descheduling is happening this year. What do you think about that, Miggy? Do you actually think it's going to happen this year? Well, I'm trying to think of like uh, the best word because um, it's, it's like the, the, the it's a carrot, right? We're just dangling it in front of us to, to have or whatever, but it's just right. a, a hyperbole. Though. This is all politics, right? They probably release something, say something ahead of time, see what the reaction is. And then the fact that either there's not much to do about nothing or if there is a screen, like it's probably only like Kevin Sabat and that Robert Kennedy guy who are pissed off about this situation. So. Yes, they, they probably are pissed off about it, though. And then we do have some quotes that came from the administration in the article. So let's bring the article back up on, on there and, and get into some of the quotes that were in there because it was Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra, and they told the Marijuana Moment senior editor Kyle Jagger that the Biden administration is prepared to address and discuss descheduling cannabis in a significant reform in the post-drug era. And so not only that, we have some more quotes. And then this one was from uh, Biden remarks from the Juneteenth holiday last uh, past Monday. Take an action on marijuana reform by pardoning District of Columbia and federal simple marijuana possession offenses and directing a review of marijuana scheduling. And that review of marijuana scheduling evidently is supposed to get done this year. It just occurred to me. It's the, uh, the carrot of speculation. That's what this is, right? Like, we're just going to say, hey, this is what we're working on, but not really release anything until, I don't know. What do you think? If, 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 the, if the, uh, really, you know, I, I really appreciate them jumping on the, uh, the cause, right? Like, like, but that's not how this really works, right? That's not how politics works. It's, it's always testing the waters and see, like, what's more important or who gets more pissed off about, you know, where the money doesn't go or goes. So, mm -hmm. And I, I think I, there's a I, difference between the report from the HHS, and so they continue in this article, and in this article like cribs a lot of marijuana moment, but you know, this is, hey, 420intel.com. That is a, yeah. a source that is not to be uh, in ill repute, right? Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, we're underway with the review as we speak, is what they said. And I really do think something is happening. I mean, and they mentioned it in an article where there was a recent uh, inclusion of the statement on June, Juneteenth, where they mentioned mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, the direction they're heading so i mean really i really 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 hope that this is a true like they're gonna make change and this will i mean i don't care if they're doing it for the election right the other person could have done it for the election last time they had their opportunity well this is it man if, if, so wait, let's talk about like scheduling versus descheduling right like because they're not saying well, this what is, they're gonna do though per se this is the quote this is the quote from bakara the uh secretary so he says, what I can tell you is that the president instructed us at HHS, Health and Human Services, slash FDA, Food and Drug Administration, in particular, to take a look at how we treat marijuana to see if we can update our review of marijuana as a drug and how we can make sure we treat it going forward on a federal level. And we're, under with that, and we're underway with that review as we speak. That is uh, what they then took through some huge hyperbole into the somewhat clickbaity headline. Uh, Obama administration says they will deschedule this year. Well, now, now let's talk about though what, what what even this means though. So like Cat Packard over in the Drug Policy mm -hmm. Alliance, they made this little chart of like 
schedule one through five, descheduling legislation, like uh, what it, what it, the difference of, right? So, you know, the, the, the orange is obviously like a questionable one, but the red is like um, a no. So for like schedule mm-hmm. one, there's uh, criminal penalties. Uh, descheduled, it'd all be no. But, um, you know, you go down to like who would be in control of things, like authority, right? Right. The FDA would have authority no matter what, whether it be descheduled right. or unscheduled. Uh, well, DEA, if you well, drop it off the scheduling, it's like the FDA doesn't have control over tobacco. No, but they do have right. control over like alcohol, like production, right? Or we're, we're talking about just practices of. The I don't business. think the FDA has control over alcohol production. That that I thought was in the other wing: uh, alcohol, tobacco, explosives, uranium, puppies. You know that the ATF the, the, that is the regulatory authority that I thought is making sure that all the alcohol is tested and taxed and, and all that. And so that's where I thought they wanted to move cannabis if they descheduled it. Well, I, I, I thought like the GMP practices and whatnot, right? Isn't that all FDA, food and drug? Or like, No, GMP practices aren't any statute or regulation. They're good manage, manufacturing practices. I think that's a private, it's kind of like organic. It's like a private right. set of rules and you have to have, comply with them and pay their dues and all that stuff. Because I don't see uh, ATF being involved in manufacturing except for other than guns. Mm. I would think the statutes that they have put forward so far or the legislation in Congress that it's not gone anywhere just calls for good manufacturing practices or GMP. So like they would have to be certified as GMP. But just like there's no as far as I'm aware, there's no federal regulation regarding GMP certification. No, no, there's not. Well, but I would think like it makes common sense for a consumable product to be uh, maintained and, and monitored by uh, people who have the scientists on board, right? Not structural engineers, but bio people and, and, and uh, you know, biologists per se, chemists. I mean, you're going to need those people, not uh, a guy who knows how to manufacture guns, right? You need someone who right. legit knows how to, uh, 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 you know, quality when it comes to like the product. So like, yeah, there, so there is showing, I got to see if I can share this thing. Now, so I'm on my own PC, so I'm trying to... But that's what happens when they deschedule. So if they drop it a Schedule 3, then yes, the FDA is supposed to regulate that because that is then a, a scheduled drug that people get prescribed, and just like Marinol. And and that's just not the case for any state law uh, medical cannabis. And so that's where it gets really interesting. Let's say they deschedule to, to, to number 3. So that the IRC 280E doesn't apply anymore and the industry is more profitable. Uh, how does the FDA then bless that regulation? What well, my thinking though is like, why did what what schedules alcohol? Do we know that? It's not. Hand? It's in zero and schedules, and, right. and that's where where that should be at. Same that's schedule as nicotine or t- tobacco. Tobacco yeah. is not scheduled. Un- yeah. Unscheduled, and, that, and that's where cannabis should be. Period. But you know, even the alcohol has its medicinal values, right? But well, uh, during prohibition, if you were a Catholic, especially, yes. Well, you, you get shot, you like wounded, you know, you, you can clean an infected wound with it. But. That's right. You can clean an infected wound and give yourself some palliative care and pain relief. And actually, you know, the sailors used to travel with just rum because uh, alcohol doesn't spoil like uh, I thought they would travel with gin because it had quinine in it. And so it wouldn't spoil. And it also helped prevent scurvy. And that's why Brits like gin. I was not there at the time. This is a story I read in books called History. Well, and the same thing with alcohol, beer, with uh, medieval times, you know, storage of uh, liquid. Um, there's always a purpose for But well, then speaking, humans, speaking of that, I mean, like we're getting into the, the, the alcohol and beer discussion. That brings us to our next story. Wisconsin news. In Wisconsin news, the Wisconsin governor signs bill with GOP provision blocking local marijuana legalization. 
Oh, boy. They've done it again in Wisconsin. And that thing they've done is not had the industry at all. Marijuana Moment is reporting this on June 20th. So a large-scale bill budget that contains a controversial aspect of it, blocking local governments to put non-binding advisory questions on the ballot, a policy that's been used over the years to demonstrate widespread support for public cannabis legalization, or as the Republicans say, nothing to see here. I, I feel for my Wisconsin people, man. That uh, they're going uphill, man. They always have been because of the hard gerrymandering out there. That's some hard gerrymandering out there, but that's uh, that stinks. And so he cannot uh, have people. You and they're non they're non-binding. And so like there's a bill that says no, you can't spend any money on non-binding initiatives regarding what voters' opinion of cannabis legalization is. That's that's silly. Well, they just don't get the people a chance, too. I mean, how many how many times does the rule have to pass that gets overturned by the governors or the courts that, you know, the people voted on it, but yet those three people who got elected know better than how many hundred thousand that voted for it in whatever state, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're always outnumbered. And so it is just kind of strange that instead of fighting with them, they shut down the ability to have any dissent. Just, just so un-American. Which, you know, you know, those people who wanted and voted for it really should be offended by their fact that their vote gets uh, turned around in the end. I think that'd be, that's more outrageous. They, they should vote those people out. I don't care what party you are, you know? Yep. If, if these elected officials keep overturning rules uh, that they don't like, that, that's just unfortunate, right? That just... Uh, they can't create their own goddamn reality. That's that's what seems to be. Going they are. On right now. That's what yeah. they're doing. They're creating their own reality. Don't confuse me with your facts when I've already made up my darn mind. Seriously though, it, it, it's unfortunate. But Wisconsin thoughts and prayers. Wisconsin, yeah, exactly. That's about the only thing you can say about the Wisconsin industry. However, we can say something substantially different about this next place that we're going to go cover yes. right now. The New Mexico industry is the exact opposite of the uh, industry in um, Wisconsin, which there ain't none. <laughs> so let's add that. New Mexico, this is out of high time drag. New Mexico cannabis jobs pay more than accommodation and food service. This is from data collected by the New Mexico Agency Examining Wage Comparison for Cannabis and Non-Cannabis Jobs, reported in High Times last week. A recent report from the New Mexico Department of Workforce Solutions show that individuals, specifically ex-accommodation and food source employees who took up jobs recently in the cannabis industry, were paid more than they were in their previous roles. You know, we talked for years about how uh, cannabis is a great economy generator. And it is. It's proven to be in uh, what's the um, the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas that uh, yep. noticed that the, uh, the increased revenue they noted just from cannabis. Right. So this is just for the state of New Mexico, let alone this is also why people think they have like one cool idea or a Facebook group that can do, well, you know, like if I can just, you know, be a stigma stoner. There's not because the stoner, the, the, the consumer, the cannabis consumer is everybody. Really, the population is wide. It, it goes from smart people to dumb people. You know, black, it's typically brown. about one out of four. And so because of the stigma, like if it was if we were discussing alcohol, it would be 85 percent of people agree. That's mm. a fun time. 
uh, at least to a certain extent. And then sure. uh, if you're talking about cannabis, it's usually one in four. But then like if it's legalized and that stigma goes away at the federal level, I bet it becomes one in two and then three out of two. And well, that's an incorrect fraction. One and a half people say yes. Well, even like with cigarette smoking, right? Like these billion dollar industries exist because they're accepted norms, right? Like, like it's the water, right? And that's crazy because like cigarette smokers, you ever see someone not have their cigarettes for like a week? Oh, they I go mean, nuts. It, 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 it's up there with heroin. So like someone who doesn't get cannabis for a week is just very, very sad. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the bummer. Because yeah. they're, they're becoming cannabinoid deficient. So, yeah, there it is. What's going on with the IL lottery? Miggy and I have not gotten an email since you have because uh, Miggy yeah. and I have like approximately a 9% chance of walking away from that lottery with a, a W. And then um, we'll see how many of my clients. Well, actually, it's too late to stuff that lottery. But uh, we can backfill it. And if you want more information about how to backfill and or stuff a lottery, you know where to find me. That's right. Cannabisindustrialair.com. Uh, we do have our- some more news. Go for it. Well, I mean, like, should we kind of um, go over the, the data of the New Mexico, or should we just roll on to the next one? Wow, let's roll on to the next one. Well, the next one is a security one, right? Uh, no, I don't believe so. The next one has to do with possession limits out of the West Coast. Well, not the West Coast, maybe the um, uh, Pacific time zone, though. And so that is the Nevada governor has signed omnibus marijuana bills to remove um, possession limits and in- industry barriers. So, like, did you read this one? What's the, the breakdown of the article? I don't know, Miggy. I was just trying to make sure the timestamp was uh, taken care of. Did you read it? <laughs> no, I did not. That's why I was asking, like, if you had something about your timestamping. Uh, I was working in the industry before I could get to... It's always know. noise, though. It's always, like, this, like, uh, you know, removing uh, barriers, but it still costs you half a million. I mean, you got to get over that part. Well, I mean, even if we were in New Mexico, it would be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then later we're going to talk about security systems that are hundreds of thousands of dollars because of the real theft risk. So if you underspend, you might have some problems. But the new uh, limit has gone up by 2.5x. So now it is legal to have 2.5 ounces of cannabis. But if you have more than that, uh uh-oh, you're over the line, which makes me wonder if we will ever have six packs or like... You can go buy vodka by the box. Well, and Will we ever have that for weed? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, some states do. Legal states do have all the cool stuff already, man. You just got Well, except for you guys. You guys are being sued into stagnation. Um, but as of January 1st, 2024, though, they're, they're done issuing new marijuana licenses, too, as well. Medical. For medical. And so they're going to start phasing out medical. However, medical cannabis patients get to save on the excise taxes. And so they will be able to access the products at a more reasonable price. So, I mean, I guess it's good news overall. I, I thought there was, was an entry barrier to the, the, the industry, but... I guess just well, uh, to be completely honest with the industry in Nevada, it is highly limited. And so, and it's very expensive to get into the Nevada industry, extremely expensive. Well, not quite as expensive as Arizona, but it's up there. It's easily as expensive as Illinois, uh, maybe a little bit more expensive than Washington State. And they had rounds and then they had litigation after those rounds back five years ago in 2018. So when we got ensnared in the similar stuff in Illinois, I pulled all the lawsuits from 2018. And I'm like, oh, they're bringing this theory and they're bringing that theory. And then don't forget this one. And so then when I was into this, the lawsuit now in Illinois, I'm like, bring that count and this count, bring the other count, bring the uh-uh count, which isn't really 
a cause of action. You just can't go, uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, you, you guys are being uh-uh to, like, no more businesses right now. So that, that's very sad. Well, yes, but again, we do have uh, a 9% chance, which again, that is a 91% chance of not, but a 9% chance of totally winning that uh, dispensary, which we cannot afford to build, by the way. No, that'd be the, uh, well, we'll figure that out when we get it. Hopefully that 9%, and hopefully we can have our guests help us. I can read this. Yes, I, 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 uh, uh, yeah, and so like, we're going to try to, no, no, you you're, uh, you got too high, man. And so, like, we got a break in two minutes, and then we're going to bring on the guest. Well, as I'm uh, saying, I can, I can time yeah. it just right where we do the break and we hit the bumper because we got a little yeah. live here. Also, uh, it's in two minutes to kill. <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the reasons why you've been talking to me, you know, on the air, uh, profession, not professionally, but, you know, sometimes we get to go to things. We are a um, show, but that's not a show. Uh, the, it's, uh, it, it is not a show with a sponsor. That is one of the things. People, they while they do enjoy advertising, they don't necessarily enjoy sponsoring. But you know, if, um, we, if we're the we beer do. channel, we would have all kinds of sponsors. Like like like. Dollars if, if, I still think though that like if uh, cannabis was federally legal, we would also have a lot of sponsors because oh, yeah. th- then you have. Um, an industry that can cross state lines. And so right now we have an industry that can't cross state lines and you have many small brands all in their own particular state with really high operating costs and, and advertising restrictions, you know? Yeah. Hey, you got that bumper ready? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I got, uh, Oh, let's, that's what we need to do. Now, remember we do have named that strain later. So you're going to want to stick around because it, for all intents and purposes, I think it is 20 past the hour, especially if your clocks are wrong on the East coast. So, uh, let's get rid of that one and say, Hey, uh, welcome to it's 20 past the hour. Uh, we'll be right back after this extremely important bait. Oh, yeah. I tell you, that's what you want when you're looking at 20 past the hour. That, and sometimes you also Google, hey, uh, what, what comes up first when you Google cannabis real estate? And you'll find our website, Collateral Base, where it's a page about cannabis real estate and why cannabis real estate is so important to this industry. Uh, we have somebody that's going to come on the show to explain aspects of cannabis real estate that can make it more expensive, but also far more secure. Miggy, do you want to uh, hype our guest? Yeah, considered the OG of cannabis security, Tony has been in the cannabis industry since 2013 and has worked with over 800 cannabis clients in 35 states in Canada, designing the security program from application operations. Tony has spoken at over 100 cannabis business conferences across the United States and is considered one of the leading security authorities in the state slash city application license processing. Physical security build and outs in standard operating. Miggy, are, uh, are you on mute? No. What? Can you hear me? You can't, you can't hear me? Just am, am I, I on mute? Are you on mute? That'd be the other The question. music cut out and, and your audio's dead. Wait. If you can put it in the chat, if you can hear who can you hear? Can you hear Tom or can you hear Miggy? Uh, shit. Here, let's just add Tony. Right. Well, Tony, who can you hear? I can hear you. Oh, thank I can you. Hear you. Tom, it's I, all you, buddy. You're on mute, buddy. Oh, well, wait. Okay, and I'm back. And we're back. You got me? (laughs) No, uh, my audio cut out on me. And so, like, suddenly, it's just I I can hear all of you. Great. 
good. Tony, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And sorry about that small technical difficulty <laughs> where I, I could no longer hear anything. But uh, that does happen on live TV. Sure. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Where are you based out of? I am based out of Houston, Texas. Our office, our main office is in Dallas, Texas. But uh, mm. grew up on the East Coast, New York, New Jersey boy. But been in Texas uh, over 20 years now. Wow. Wow. And do you have a separate branch then for your cannabis uh, securities type people? Well, we're, we're, we're in 35 states, so we have people throughout the United States. Uh, we have a, a group in Indiana, a group in New Jersey, New York, uh, but the central office is out of Texas. Nice. So uh, where are you working at right now recently? Uh, well, recently I've been pretty pretty busy on the East Coast. The New York, New Jersey markets have been very, very uh, busy for us. Uh, we had a, a really good showing in Alabama. Very proud of that. Had seven clients that are on hold but did win. So we'll see what happens with that. And uh, leaving tomorrow for Denver. I'm going to be up there uh, for three days and uh, going to be visiting uh, uh, the Patterson Inn, which is a uh, one of the new consumption or hope to be the new consumption lounge in Colorado. And then going to be visiting a uh, psilocybin farm. Oh, right on. Yeah. Getting into a whole new area of secured, uh, highly, highly secured businesses and locations. Uh, did, was when was I off when you guys introduced uh, Tony and Sapphire? Or, or have we not gotten the chance to do that yet? I didn't mention the company name. Uh, Tony, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, uh, now that I can hear you, and, and uh, what your business is? Sure. So... So we're the oldest national security consultant company in the cannabis industry. Uh, August 13th will be our 10th year in the cannabis industry. And in that time, we've worked with about 800 cannabis clients in 36 states. Uh, we helped them with the security part of the application. Uh, like I said, we were pretty uh, fortunate in Alabama with seven winning licenses. We do the actual construction build out. We built out the uh, our 150th construction of security was Gotham in New York City uh, about Neat. a month ago. And cool. then we uh, also do policies and procedures and security uh, reviews of facilities that are established, primarily uh, California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado established markets when it comes to that. Do those established markets seem like they have uh, more lax regulations than the highly limited markets when it comes to security? I think when you look at the security of cannabis and, you know, like I said, the last 10 years, the industry has grown uh, from west to east. So uh, initially security requirements in Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California are much more laxed than they were, say, in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania area. And what we're seeing is these West Coast states are now starting to realize that they need to catch up and 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 be able to run their business like a retail business should be, uh, with all of whatever best practices should be. So, um, West Coast is much more lax than the East Coast, and when it comes to state requirements. That's that's what I've noticed as well. And we've got some very apropos news, and I'm so kind of stoked that we have you here for this. And so let's uh, let's dig into it. And this is uh, a story that broke just this past week. It's 
ABC 33 or 40 news, and I'm not sure if they have a W or a K on this one. Oh, it's from Alabama. A surge in robberies at medical cannabis dispensaries nationwide, and they have some videos of these um, dispensary robberies. So I'm assuming that you know a lot about dispensary robberies. How do they typically play out? So when we talk about robberies just so just want to make sure that we understand what what we're saying here there's a difference between a robbery and a break-in so a lot of times the news will say uh, there was a robbery and this dispensary recent one was new jersey but it was an actually a break-in so a robbery is when someone comes in with a weapon and tries to gain cannabis or money from it. A break-in is someone at two o'clock in the morning when no one's there breaks into the location. So sometimes there's a miss, a miss, a, a diagnosed of that when they communicate that. But when we're talking about robberies, if you look at high-risk businesses, so we we we've started off in the high-risk industry. We do our clients are jewelry stores, pawn shop, liquor stores, convenience stores firearm stores and then obviously the cannabis and now the psilocybin industry and they all have the same thing in common they have a very desirable piece of merchandise an item that they can go and sell in the street or the park right away guns tobacco alcohol lottery tickets cannabis um and they have a large amount of cash so when you look at the high-risk industry and i've been in the, the security field of high-risk businesses about 25 years now common denominator what i'm seeing in cannabis is that there's a there seems to be some breakdown when it comes to the actual procedures that the company had put in place that allowed this to occur uh that it allowed you know we're talking now robberies not break-ins um and I think a lot of times a cannabis business owner can simply learn best practices by just going and, and, and looking up procedures in other similar industries. And right. uh, and I think that there's a lot of that that can prevent that from occurring. Tony, yeah. why? Okay. Well, I was going to say, like, my clients in, like, New Mexico and stuff where you, or the West Coast, where you can get away with, like, a lot more. I'm just looking at their setups and I'm like, wow. That's it, and you're compliant. You're right. lucky. Well, be careful. You know, isn't it? it, it I mean, security is one of those things where it's always like, uh, not. I'm gonna say buyer beware, but you know, it's up to your own. If you want, you know, the more security you have, the better. I mean, that's that's obvious. But like, you know, some people just they they they, they skimp on it, right? They they think, oh, I can just get away. But Tony, why do you think there are more? Like, why aren't there more jewelry store heists? Like. You know, the cannabis smashing grabs happen all the time, but why don't you see like a lot of like, just like jewelry stores, you know, there's probably more money just light to get rid of things, but. Well, look at the industry. Let's say the cannabis, legal cannabis industry is 15 years old. You can make an argument of exactly when it started, but you know, you're talking about them versus an industry, jewelry industry, pawn industry is 3000 years old. You're, you're looking at at best practices that these jewelers have learned over the years that a lot of the jewelry stores now put in place that the cannabis business owner, like you said, they're skimping on it or they don't think it's going to be them. So they they get involved after the, the loss has occurred. I call it the $100,000 lesson or the $200,000 lesson. So, you know, let's take let's take the safes. Um, if you went into any jewelry store in the United States, there's a safe, it's, you know, that's a security safe, it's called a TL rated safe. Um, 
this no no state in the application process really defines what what kind of safety you should be using so if you go and look in california or washington oregon or new mexico a lot of people would go to costco they buy a costco safe or a walmart safe or and it's called a gun safe um so a lot of the break-ins that you see where the safe has been breached or during the riots that occurred a couple of years ago was simply because somebody could go to Home Depot, get a saw and cut these gun safes. And I, I could I know of at least a hundred of these break-ins in cannabis dispensaries where the client then learned that maybe he should have spent the three thousand dollars and bought a good safe instead of the seven hundred dollars and bought a piece of aluminum. And mm-hmm. uh so that's what we see a lot. We have an order of complexity to get on you now, which was just one of those stories that we saw in the news from this past week. Burglars in Oakland target cannabis business using a forklift. In the East Bay, burglars determined on stealing cannabis from a local business, went to some extreme measures. A security video from Monday shows a huge forklift being used in a break-in attempt. And despite using this, the burglars still did not get in. Have you ever seen a, a forklift or like, how do you defend against a forklift? I mean, they, they said they didn't get in. So if you look at the typical burglar, uh, the typical burglar that breaks into a cannabis location or really into any many high risk businesses doesn't have the knowledge or the tools to breach into a safe like that. So in essence, uh, this one occurred during the during the riots, as you said, and there were lack of police uh, 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 response to that situation but I've had uh, if you looked at the, uh, the uh, we'll go back to those riots um, we were aware of 83 dispensaries that were attacked throughout the United States during the during the, the riots where there was no police coverage um, there were 23 break-ins of the safes the others did not experience any break-ins all 23 of those safes that were breached were gun safes none of them were were TL rated safes. So same thing here. You know, um, if you look at uh, somebody who's going to attack your safe and they're not able to get in, you know, you're going to be able to 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 save. And a lot of it's cash more so than the, than yeah. the cannabis product itself. You know, a lot of it is the cash. So you know, you lose two hundred thousand dollars in a break in or or a robbery that goes bad. Same thing. You know, we, you know, there are, there are many techniques to not only reduce the robbery attempt from occurring at your location. But if it does occur, uh, you know, God forbid, there are ways to mitigate that loss from occurring. And what that does is prevent other people to come rob you. We've had here in Washington State two uh, right around where I live at. Within the past six months, one was a forklift. They smashed the window and threw a, uh, uh, or smashed the door to gain entry into the, the business. And again, grab whatever they could grab that wasn't in a safe or whatever. And then the other one was they smashed a car. And then these were all kids. They're not organized crime. It's not a, you right. know, like, like you said, they're not the, the smartest tool shop, you know, uh, tools in the shed. So, hmm. well, well, this one, it was interesting. They said seventh time they've tried to break into this building. Seventh time this guy's had to put up with somebody trying to rob his business. So when I look at that, you know, and, and like I said, I haven't done this for, for quite some time. 
My question is why? Why why is this location still inviting someone to come in and, and, and attack their location to attack their their store? Um, and there's some you know some questions I would look at. Is there graffiti on the wall? Is there dirt in the parking lot? Is there adequate lighting? Is there adequate camera coverage? Do you invite someone from coming in? You, you mentioned the people that drove the car into the store. Here's my question. At two o'clock in the morning, if you ran a jewelry store, and I'll give you that analogy of jewelry store, the majority of the time, no one ever leaves jewelry in their glass cases. So why? So if you if you're leaving your cannabis products out, Washington State can do that. New Jersey can't do that. But let's say Washington, you know, you're you're actually sending a message that says, hey, come in. You you're, you can see the product by looking through the window. We don't have roll downs or we don't have any barriers you know are there bowers in the front is there big flower pots in the front so you know a lot of times you have to look at that location you know i have i'm not i don't know i can't address that seven my guess though is that they don't they're they're communicating that this would be a good location to rob oh, or sure. break into but you know part of the problem with the security at least with the uh the back side of things the uh like the the vault would be like to you need a vault Right, because cannabis varies when it comes to like caring for it. Some of it you can just keep in the dry area. Others need to be in a fridge because of terpenes or whatever. Maybe because it is a drink, right? So to relocate all that, you pretty much need like two buildings to, to, to store your product at night to be safe. 100%. Well, they have secured areas in, in dispensaries right. that are. So when I went to Washington State to buy weed for the first time after buying it in Illinois, well, it was vice versa because I bought it first in, in uh, Washington State. And then when I got to Illinois, I'm like, you're not allowed to have the product out because you walk into a pot shop, as they call them, in Washington State. And they just have the inventory like behind, you know, and it's, a, it's not really a secured area. It's behind the line or the, the you know, yeah. the, the display case. That's really it. And so in many states, that doesn't fly. That, that's not the regulation of Missouri. It's not the regulation of Illinois. It's not the regulation on the East Coast. They have it in a secured uh, location already and those vaults which are really interesting um so they are like made with wire mesh tony what types of vaults are those secured areas where they store the product you know uh east of the mississippi so you see you, you can there's three types of vaults when we build a secured storage room we can use the actual metal uh, uh panels that you would see say in a bank uh, you know, quite expensive, but uh, you know, probably uh, the probably the highest level security. Not something that um, uh, you know, but it's very expensive to do. Next thing we see is cinder block with rebar in it and 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 and, and concrete, which prevents someone from uh, breaking through. But what we're using a lot, and we do this a lot lately on the East Coast, is we'll take nine gauge wire meshing. It's the uh, kind of wire meshing you would see uh, at a prison. Uh, which is required, uh, New York State requires nine gauge. It's more flexible, it's easier to use, and it's probably the least expensive of the three options that we said uh, for that to go on. Now, obviously you need a good door and a good frame. I've, I've seen in Washington State where the break-in occurred, he had a good metal door with a nice lock, but it was it was attached to a sheetrock wall, and they just broke through the sheetrock next to next to the door and came right in. So obviously, uh, a poor security design to that. Tony, did you well, see a, okay. 
Oh, I was going to I was going to uh, promote Tony's blog by saying yeah. we have a place where you can go to learn a whole bunch more tips and tricks. And then I have to make sure that it's the one that's in the operative tab. But uh, you can head over to sapphirerisk.com and they have robbery prevention for cannabis business tips over uh, on that site. So that's your guys' domain, sapphirerisk.com? Correct. Awesome. Tony, did you see uh, King of Tulsa? That's the one with Stallone? Yeah. (laughs) Did you you see that scene where he strong arms the guy at the dispensary, like the first beginning? like? Yeah. Isn't that like a security nightmare? Yeah, that 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 could be that could be you know you you see that that kind of activity sometimes and it, 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 you know it's a it, it's it's a good show. I should leave it at yeah. that. It is. It's designed to be entertaining. Uh, yeah. Unlike this news, but this news has been coming out forever. Uh, right. Congressional lawmakers approved spending bill that would continue blocking cannabis sales in D.C. And so there's an industry in our nation's capital of stickers. And uh, other things that you trade for that, depending what color it is, it corresponds to a particular amount of weight in a bag where the sticker is affixed to. And so these loopholes that people do in our nation's capital is still just continuing. And Tony, you've been in the industry for a decade or more. How long do you think before we're looking at um, a regulatory landscape that doesn't have cannabis being a Schedule One substance? I think that that that's going to go away. But what I what I'm thinking is going to occur is similar to the liquor industry or some other industries of that nature, the pawn industry. I think the states are still going to dictate what's going to be allowed and not allowed in their state. I don't think it's going to, you know, when we say federally legal, the only thing I can see that that will do, obviously, there'll be the banking insurance benefits, but allowing you to cross products through state lines. But I think still you're going to see, you know, when you look at some states such as New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and they've got good security programs in place, I think that's going to be the norm. And and what I'm seeing now, and like I said, we do a lot of, we call them phase three risk assessments. We're doing them on the West Coast because a lot of people that have been in the industry for five to 10 years are saying, I'm not making the money I thought I was going to make. I'm not, it's not, my margin's not there. Why am I not, why is that occurring? And, you know, maybe I have a security risk and lo and behold, most of the time they bring this in, they usually do have some sort of security exposure that's that's eating into their margins. No kidding. Yeah. Are you talking about like loss? Like that you, you find ways of like maybe people pocketing. Yeah, bonders. so so 80% if not more, we'll use the statistic of 80% of all the losses in any cannabis facility are internal theft. Damn. Oh. So, so uh, you know, we come across that a lot. Uh, you know, uh, the, sure. in, the, in the grow facility, the trimmers are the biggest exposure that we've seen. Mm. And then at the uh, and then dispensary, just like any other retail business, it's the uh, people ringing up the, the transactions. It's fascinating. We actually have a, a an article about this with a particular stock or company uh, from the West Coast. Maybe this was a problem for them. So MJ Biz Daily is reporting that a very large marijuana distributor called Herbal, uh, with its own custom spelling, uh, has collapsed and brands have been left unpaid. 
perhaps this herbal, and you can see its uh, distribution truck right there, as yeah. many of these distribution trucks kind of look like that. They have been thrown into a receivership because bankruptcy is prohibited for cannabis companies. Uh, they reportedly handed $700 million worth of product sales in 2022. Uh, do you think maybe they had what they're calling in the industry when I watch the financial news uh, uh, a shrinkage problem, you know, and by shrinkage, that could mean either internal or external theft? I think one of the things that uh, that I'm seeing, with, and we work with a lot of MSOs and, and, and other uh, uh, companies, in the, you know, in the state that are that have multiple locations is sometimes they lose sight on their profitability and they'll post $10 million in sales. But then you say, well, how much money did you make on that 10 million? And they really don't have that number and they're not communicating that number. I think that that worked five mm. years ago. People would invest in them and, and you're running up that those sales. But I think now investors are saying, well, how am I going to get my money back and how am I going to be profitable uh, with what you're doing? And I think that that's where a lot of that focus now is. And it's kind of almost like the industry's growing up. It's becoming a real retail industry, and that's what this is. And um, and I I see more of those articles that you just showed me occurring in the next few years. Oh yeah. Well, you think like more like the the restraints of the. Uh, I think it's honestly like the taxes. You know, the the it's hard for these guys to come down a like a profit margin when trying to figure out what things cost first. And I mean. Like a system, security system can't be cheap. We're probably talking like 300k, right? Just for um, if you take the average, the average dispensary in the United States is 3,000 square feet. Mm. Now it goes state by state. Some states are more. Illinois is is more expensive, say, than Oklahoma. But you know, you should budget somewhere video alarms, access control, somewhere between 60 and 100 thousand dollars just to build out the facility. Plus, yeah. then there's monthly fees and all that. Um, but uh, so there is a, you know, this is state required uh, 60 to 100,000 to build out the security for those facilities. But really, you know, sometimes you even have to look at, you know, have you done, have you done enough to run your business, even though the state is going to give you the approval? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's overlooked very often, like the amount or, or the price sensitivity for like doing some due diligence or for really thinking about how they're going to approach it or like what their financial models are going to look like or what their costs are going to look like or how much capital they really need. Ah, and then you throw like a social equity lottery in to, to distribute the licenses. And it just becomes very difficult for like, you know, us to give proposals that are legitimate, like, no, they've changed the rules. We now know that the person who's going to win can't afford it. How do we benefit from that? And it's uh, a very interesting, strange challenge to newcomers in the industry. Like if you are in Oklahoma or in New Mexico, you can really just get open for business. And then I see the exact opposite aspect where it's like, screw the rules, I know what I'm doing. And they just they just dive in and they're woefully undercapitalized and they haven't thought it through or how they're going to have competitive advantage. So it's a very strange industry. But there are people that get it. And yeah. those are the ones that you usually hear about their brands and they, they do okay. I mean, in the end, it's a business, right? Like you're, you're, you're right. catering to... Uh, to be a business that's gonna, you know, everybody wants to be McDonald's or Kraft or whatever the hell they want to like achieve. You still want to make money. That's all they're trying to do in the end. Uh, so like, 
Tom and I encountered, so we went to Canacon. I saw the coolest security system where the guy had AI in the camera work where, uh, like, it, it say a trimmer were to drop something, it would catch it on the floor, you know, like, are you involved in that kind of stuff as well with like ai and stuff we do we do uh we work with ai technology we do a lot of exception report data uh, base reviews where the camera system is tied to the transaction of the pos system and we're able to determine if there was uh legitimate sales rang or too much samples given out or voids that are occurring and all that the thing with the AI and the thing with the exception report and, you know, anyone who ever tells me they have 100 cameras in their location, I know has a poor security system, not a good security system, a poor security system, because having been in this industry, you can't watch 100 cameras. Right. So, you know, AI has a value if somebody actually does something with that information. I put out 10 sweaters, uh, you know, and I work for, like I said, some companies that they actually make more money selling their uh, their uh, their their sweaters and their their products like that than they do cannabis. And if yeah. you put ten sweaters out and at the end of the, end of the week you didn't sell any and there's eight missing, you got to do something with that information. Yeah. So even with AI, if someone has AI and the bud falls to the ground, somebody has to do something with that. So there's yeah. there's I definitely think there's value, um, you know. Uh, I, but like I said. You have to do something with the information that's given to you. Sure. Sure. But again, let's, let's do something with some information right now, then. We'll play a little Name That Strain. There's a strain. It looks like Tony is wearing it as a hat, which uh, is, is hilarious. It's, it's, it's kind of like you're from it. Wisconsin, but instead yeah. of a cheese head, it's a weed head. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move over this. So I could just you know, let me see. I'm go this way. No, I gotta go this way. Okay. There, I love that. You're like a weed elf. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, this one, do we have that one up? Um, yes, there it is. And so this one is an Alien Labs joint. Uh, and I am 21. I don't want it delivered. I'm just trying to understand more about the the name of the strain, like who its parents are. Oh, we don't got that. Nope, we don't <laughs> got that. All right, well. Uh, Lovely orange, though. I love the uh, the hairs on here. Yeah. So, Tony, are you a consumer then? I imagine as a... Uh... I, I actually am. Uh, uh, I'm actually more of a psilocybin consumer than oh, I am cool. a cannabis one. Um, but I, I am. I You know, when I go to, a, go to an event or something like that... Uh, uh, my my children all are very surprising. Uh, a lot less alcohol. Uh, they're in their their, their uh, mid twenties now, and and uh, they're very much more a consumer than they are a drinker. And uh, oh. you know, it's a very interesting uh, watching that occur. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, this is a unique uh, exotic. I can't find its parents. Uh, usually, we try to give the parents and also the breeder and the breeders alien labs. Or, or the, I'm assuming Alien Labs is a breeder, but I can't find its, um, its parents. So that's going to make the name that strain really difficult. It's not Alien Rock Candy. That is one of them. Uh, I guess we can just go ahead and, and spoil it. It's Zed Band. That is Zed Band. If you know its parents, please let us know in the comments. Zed Band was the name that strain. If you get a chance, look up something called Sc Sapphire Scout. Oh, that's Sapphire a, Scout. Sapphire Scout. That's out of Oregon. Oh, nice. Well, we also have a 
So this, this story is out of Florida, which is never usually good news on the channel. Uh, Ron DeSantis says that he would not decrim marijuana if elected president. Did you guys see this one going around in the, the news sphere over the weekend or the week? Yeah. Uh, Tony, are you a Republican Democrat? I am a conservative Democrat, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. You know, this... This conservative Republican, uh, when he was asked, and that's Ron DeSantis, or Meatball Ron, as some people call him, uh, he was asked if he would please decriminalize cannabis as president, and he just kind of said, I don't think we would do that, and then he went on to make uh, claims about how bad drugs are for you and for for people. So uh, Ron DeSantis, more of the same when it comes to cannabis policies if you're looking for somebody to vote for. Did you see uh, uh, Trump's interview where they talked about uh, he freed that one lady, uh, Wanda, he mentions her. And then at the same breath, uh, uh, Brett Byer goes, well, you know, under the uh, policy you're, you're, you're preaching, she'd be, she be murdered. She'd be dead. She, she, she'd be sentenced to death. And he's like, well, no, 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 not now, now. But like she wouldn't do it because she's a good now. Like, what the fuck you just say? <laughs> yeah, it just hurts the mind when you hear the the coiled and twisted kind of political uh, political crap they have to pull to continue to maintain the lie that is cannabis prohibition but yet here we are uh burning through june 2023 still schedule one Jesus. And, and 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 honestly i i really hope that we, we are you hoping for a deschedule or unscheduled Oh, uh, I would like to see it descheduled, but still regulated. And so and that that would create chaos, just like it did in the hemp industry, because when they changed the law before having the regulatory uh, structure in place, it created you know a very freewheeling um, you know wild west atmosphere that was the hemp industry that did a whole bunch of whipsawing of the prices, and then you would see that at a national level. But price stability might happen. However, it would really upset a lot of the industry, especially some of these MSOs. I mean, that's the, these guys, for example. Their canopy growth was in the news this week. Canopy growth for if you want to lose money on stocks. Uh, like any other cannabis, Canada pot producer just getting ravaged. And so they're down another 14%. And uh, their shares fell another 4% after hours because now it turns out the SEC is starting to regulate them, uncovering misstatements relating to its sale into biosteel sports drink uh, company so it must have spun off something Uh oh. well um they <laughs> can't make money people. and so that yeah. really has happened a lot of the producers or the msos if you read them uh, the only one that turned a profit was green thumb industries yeah. everybody else like right. they ripped i mean they and so oh we made a billion dollars yes and how much did you lose quarter million so you lost a quarter million, so you spent one point two five billion to make that billion. Good work. <laughs> I never understood yeah. how, how they can make that claim. Then how can they claim? They want to say they're Amazon, and so they're trying to position through growth to be Amazon. But then right. the problem is, Amazon was an online retailer in one state with one set of rules, which was no state income tax. You're doing these licenses on a state-by-state basis in some states, making it highly political, highly political and highly uh, limited so that you're picking and choosing winners as opposed to like American capitalism. And, and that's one of the reasons why the cost of getting these new licenses was just so high and they couldn't make any money. Then the taxes.
No, I get it. I, yeah. I, I think part of the failure to a lot of these states when they're legalizing it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of local culture, right? Each state has their own, as long as it's illegal, right? I'm sure Texas has its own scene. Tony, and perfect sure there's probably some club you can go hang out with, like some bunch of smoker social where, you know, like everybody's like on the same playing field or they trust each other to, to consume and, or buy and sell with each other without, you know, like someone snitching. But in the end, when it becomes federally legal, then then all that stuff's gonna go awash because right now it's like a secret trust type brother sisterhood where you're like, this person's not gonna screw me over or whatever. I, well, I, I don't know. Well, you look at you look at New York State right now, New York City. You know, there's there's ten times the number of illegal shops that are open right now because. Yeah no one's really you know they're trying they're making an effort it's going to be like california you know when california started the decriminalizing i i remember reading that they actually had to use the national guard at some of these grows to shut them down so Damn. but you know there has to be that effort to be made in that especially if this industry could you imagine if someone was allowed to sell alcohol on the street corner and no one did anything about it without tax yeah. or regulation like not right. just alcohol but like moonshine that they made in their basement yeah. right right well and and, and i think the, the rollout was is the, the thing that gets questioned in each state that's the thing that's so different in each state that some actually uh hurt the the, the people who stood up for this plant or stood up against the law which is like and again a separate water drinking water fountains were a thing right if it wasn't for somebody to you know like stand up for it and and and, and at the same time those people got screwed, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of, though, like this is this one's really interesting about it. And so I think these types of stories would normalize after we have a federal regulatory system like alcohol where you it's I can't get a yingling in Illinois that we don't have a distributor in Illinois for a yingling. Right. But if I go to Missouri or if I go to Indiana, I can. But you know what I can't get in Indiana? weed not legally but then they got it in missouri and so i think it's going to be like the distributors and yeah. so labels are going to have distributors and then they're going to be able and then they already have ip agreements and like you know cookies and stuff but what i thought this was just this this one blew my mind oklahoma produces 64 times more marijuana than consumers need according to a study that was published this one came out of oklahoma 5 news that's coco.com ko CO. Uh, because of the overproduction, the only place it can go is out of state illegally, they say. And so that was a study by the their regulators, which is OMA for short, or the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. Uh, they said that Oklahomans are growing 64 times more cannabis than the state's consumers need. I mean, crazy. I, I, I don't, I have a buddy who's getting, he told me he's out there getting decent ounces for 40 bucks, which is really. Yeah good price yeah so wow but also we're in new mexico i've talked to some people like there is this douchey group of people that i i saw like sometimes people it's kind of like it's like the last guy you don't get mad at fire for burning you right so like if you got like a douchey person you're like i think something's not right here talking to some other growers they're saying how these guys backdoor some oklahoma product like some of the not so good you know it's that uh mold uh, gold type concept it's all Oklahoma cannabis. They're squeezing into the back doors of uh, some retailers there. So um, I, I don't know if it's too much. I just I think a lot of times too, it's like Oregon when they're complaining about Oregon having like too much grow versus the consumer. 
you know, these guys are in binds. If they could do a uh, fair interstate trade, there would be no such thing as not enough. You know, People would lose their shirts still. It would be hemp. It would be international yeah. hemp. And so, like, there's, it's, I think it, that regulation system. So, like, the East Coast still really isn't that stood up. Like, New Jersey, yeah. they don't have that many stores yet. And so, because they opted out as the default, they shouldn't do that policy wise. They should always have opt in be the default. New York, that's yeah. taken forever to roll out. Illinois, only 26 of the social equity dispensaries that are, are stood up. And it's been, it's been four years since we legalized it. Yeah. So, this stuff moves way slower than we would like and um but you know we did burn a, a pretty quality hour here and i wanted to thank uh, tony yeah. from sapphire risk from coming uh, coming on tony you are a traveling man where are you going to be where can i mean that's our show for the the day we've gone through our our, our uh, news where can people find you so uh, uh it's uh, t gallo sapphire risk.com uh and, and website is sapphire risk.com and uh this week I'll be in Denver, like you said. Uh, you know that's the one thing about nationwide is you are traveling. And next week I'll be, you know, in New Jersey or New York, but you mm-hmm. know Illinois. But uh, it 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 is a very interesting industry. Ten years, still loving it, and I, I love where it started when I came on board, and then where where we are right now. Very 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 oh, excited yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, you're. I've been in for four years, and now it's. I'm starting to kind of get it, maybe. But I will be in uh, Ohio, uh, so catch me in Cincinnati uh, Wednesday and Thursday at Ohio's EF or EIP. And so Ohio and uh, Kentucky, they have an, a Canatech Expo that I will be at. We'll throw the links in the description below, maybe like a, a coupon code for those. Uh, Ohio and Kentucky are going to be hot markets. Ohio probably isn't going to legal it on the ballot this year but look for 2024 for them to legalize it that's a huge opportunity it's a population of illinois 12 million or a little bit more actually and then there's only 144 dispensary locations licensed and not all of them are open so you have um you know at least another 500 hopefully dispensaries uh, to go in that state and kentucky uh, that's one of the most important elections this fall is the kentucky governor's race if the Kentucky governor is reelected, the cannabis program, which goes into effect in 2025, will continue to be on track. However, I'm worried that if the Kentucky uh, governor is not reelected, the Republican administration that comes in will do something similar to what we saw in Virginia, which has uh, not been going very well. So catch me in Cincinnati, June 28th and 29th. And Miggy, where can people find you, man? Uh, you know, check out Freedom Grow, support Freedom Grow. And then as always, I will be here. I got some I'm working on a video with my uh, my beaner announcement, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, always catch us here. Uh, also, uh, happy Pride Month! Happy Pride Month! See you next time, everybody. Yeah, man.